Kia ora. Welcome to this edition of the Morrisville Baptist Church Podcast. Thank you for connecting with us to discover more about our faith community. Feel free to visit our website at morrisvillebaptist.com. I hope this message is an encouragement to you. If you don't know me, I'm Richard, one of the pastors here. And it's great we can gather this morning and praise Praise our Lord God, the living God, Emmanuel, God with us. Wonderful we can do that. And um, we'll be picking up shortly just um, the series that we've been going through in the, in the letters of John. If you've missed previous weeks, you'll be able to find those online. And uh, encourage you to do that as well, because uh, there's some great things we can learn from John. Just uh, before we do that, um, most of you will be aware that Tom and I and, and Kelly went to Hui last week. And um, one of the things I really enjoyed about that is just having time with others, other Christians, other leaders, and, and seeing God at work across this nation. And we don't always hear those stories. But God, God is at work. And so uh, that really encouraged us. Also, one of the things I, I enjoy about... Um, uh, traveling to places is sometimes the conversations you have and it was actually a great time having uh, um, I had with, with Tom driving to and from Auckland you know just to hear some of the stories that he had about his time times in Asia um, as a younger guy so it was really good to have those kind of conversations and, and to encourage one another and I know Julie was down in Wellington. She flew back. Julie loves to have conversations on the plane. You know, if someone's next to her, she'll turn around and start talking to them and have some really you know, divine moments of conversations uh, with people at that time. It didn't happen uh, this time around because there was no one sitting next to her. Uh, but, yeah. but sometimes it can happen and sometimes not the way you expect. And... Um, Everyone here we, we, uh, will know of, of Billy Graham. And Billy Graham often shared of a story when he was traveling. He was flying on a plane, pretty packed plane. And um, there was a, a guy who came on the plane. He seemed very jolly at first. And he was enjoying the free alcohol that was served on the plane. And after a little while, he, he started getting a bit more boisterous and wanting to talk to everyone around him, but the conversations obviously weren't that uh, kind of edifying. And when the um, cabin crew decided we need to sort of uh, turn the tap down of his alcohol, he got a bit upset. And he started using all kinds of profanities and swearing, making it really difficult for those next to him and to the, the, the cabin crew. And um, this poor lady didn't know what to do because he was just swearing and, and complaining. And uh, she had a, what she thought was an inspiration. She said, do you know who's just a few rows in front of you? And she said it was Billy Graham. <laughs> well, it didn't quieten the guy down. He kind of just jumped up. And he said, where is he? And so he kind of pushed past her. And he went forward looking for Billy Graham. You look like a Billy Graham. He grabbed his hand. Are you Billy Graham? Billy didn't quite know what, what to say. And this guy was kind of swaying and, um, and uh, is issuing all kinds of, of foul words. But then he, he stopped once he realized this guy was Billy Graham and his face lit up. And he said, Billy, I want to tell you 
that your sermons have had a great influence on my life. Yeah, and then the cabin crew told him, get back to your seat or the captain will come and arrest you. So he got back to his seat eventually. That's probably what I should do. And, and so, so Billy reflected on that for quite some time after that and, and said it's not just the person who hears the truth, but it's the person who practices the truth is the one that... Uh, God is seeking and calling us. So um, that was a lesson for him and in, in, in his messages, is we want people to hear. And in fact, Jesus said, said um, uh, he who has ears, let him listen. And he's meant by that, take heed, respond. And, and John will be saying the same kind of things in, in his letters. So take heed. And so as we listen and learn of some truths, I'd encourage you, what can I take from this? How does it apply to my life? That the truths that we learn. And so um, uh, as we come today, that would be my prayer for each of us, including myself, that we would hear and learn and apply. So let's just uh, start now in, in prayer. Father, we thank you for your goodness, we thank you for your greatness, we thank you for your majesty, and yet we thank you for your closeness. And Lord, as we open your word now, our desire is to know you, to know you more deeply. That is eternal life. And as we look into your word, I pray that you will guide my words, the things that are important. Holy Spirit, would you, would you really seal in the hearts and the minds of, of those here gathered, uh, and for myself too, that we would apply those things you deem important for each of us, and it may be different, but minister to us now, and we thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I've got to just switch microphones now, Manny. I was just pondering on, on some of these things and, and what um, John was talking about and trying to convey. One of the things that, that's really struck me, and Tom has, has mentioned it, we mentioned it in the introduction, about authenticity, which obviously this guy was kind of lacking um, on, on the plane. And one of the ways that we, we can seek that is for gold, for example, is the most enduring sub substance we know. Is there a ways of us of assessing the purity of, of gold. And we know that by the carrot, the carrot system. My ring is definitely not 24 carat gold. It's not pure gold. And um, it gets mixed with materials, with gold, which are less enduring than gold, but they make it stronger. So gold may endure, but it's also soft. And so trying to assess the purity of gold there are measures there, and not only are there as a, as a scale, when a, a, a piece of gold is stamped, it's also with the name of the assessor, that you know that whoever assessed it is trustworthy and reliable and an expert. And so we get that stamp that you can trust in the one 
who put that stamp on there, that this is pure, pure gold. And uh, that's uh, quite a helpful thing, because John is kind of trying to touch in on these things about hallmarks. And gold won't rust, it won't corrode, it won't decay, but it will wear down. And that's why we mix it with other things that are less pure, but are helpful. But as I said, they will corrode, they will, they will, they reduce the pureness of the gold. And so, all right. And so, in the time of John and in the time of Jesus, there was a problem with authenticity, of, of, especially with the religious leaders, hasn't changed. Jesus saw through that, and so he warned uh, about those who pretended to be authentic followers of God, who weren't but were ferocious wolves in sheep's clothing. And John took heed of what Jesus taught him, and he's sharing it with the congregations where John is based in Ephesus, and warning that there are those around them. And so John knows he needs to warn them. And uh, that's uh, something we, we need to understand, and we need to have measures of how we understand and assess what is authentic without becoming like religious police, as sometimes the Pharisees were trying to do. That wasn't the heart behind this. But eternal life matters. And when people are leading someone away from Christ, that matters. Because eternity is at stake. And so John will speak up, and the other apostles do. And so we need to take heed, because these are really important matters, not matters of, of uh, opinion, of taste. There's nothing more important, is there, than eternal life, which John is sharing. And so he writes these letters, and as, as we've looked at over the, the past couple of weeks, talks about the love of God. We talked about the light that comes from God. And some of the challenges that are, are coming up is that some are saying sin doesn't matter. And we'll learn, some will say, well, the cross doesn't really matter as long as we're spiritual. And John will say, that's wrong. The cross matters, doesn't it? And so John has come in to speak into these things. And so he talks about love for God. Authenticity around the, the love for God is how we obey his commands. They are the words of Jesus. Those who love me obey my commands, he shares. And so he's talked, John's already talked about the you know, love for God, how to express that. And now as we carry on this letter... John is talking about love for one another. And so how, what that looks like. And he's building up something. Something he's wanting them to learn in the midst of that. And so love for God, love for one another. We're receiving in these letters. So let's just read the first part of this letter. And we're picking it up from verse 7. Dear friends, says John, I am not writing to you a new command, but an old one, 
which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. It might sound a little bit confusing, new command, old command, but John is sharing this in the light of Jesus, that God stepped out of heaven, became human, and his life for us helps us in a human sense to understand what love looks like on this epic mission Jesus undertook and to reveal God's truth to us. And so God hasn't changed either and that's why they go in harmony but revealed in Jesus. God shows his love for us. Our response is one of love back to God in gratitude no matter our circumstances that we've already sung about this morning, and obedience. And so John, in part of his letter, is talking about the hallmarks of Christian love. Because it's stamped right through the Bible and the New Testament and his letter. Quality of life is our purity, is that the love of God that flows through us then flows out. And the stamp that we're understanding God's truth is that not just any Bible. You have a Bible about cooking, you have a Bible about this, a Bible about that these days. But it is the Bible containing the words of the apostles and those who knew them. That is the authentic stamp of understanding what God has shown to us. So this is authentic. You want the authentic. And John says, this is stamped by the apostles, commissioned by Jesus. And so our love for God is expressed in obedience. As, John, as Jesus would tell John, the other disciples, and John says to us now, And so he carries on. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Again, this is about this hallmark of assessing. We can't hate but be in the light. And John kind of shows it in, in this kind of way that darkness, as he talks about light and darkness, hate and love, Darkness, John reveals, is the absence of light. But he's also teaching that hate is the absence of love, not just animosity or violence, but withholding love. And so John is building on a teaching, which he'll keep coming back to and expanding on, that God Jesus is light, God Jesus is love. And obedience to Jesus are the hallmarks 
of a Christian life. And so he's wanting us to understand these things. And so he'll carry on and say, anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. And so John, I said, is, is closely connecting these themes and, and contrasting black and white truths. There's no gray areas in these things that John is sharing. And so the challenge we face as we read John's words, that hate may, may, um, may simply mean the failure to love. And we think, how many times have I failed to love? because I've been selfish or I've been thinking about myself. And so I'm challenged by the words of John here as he raises the standard. What is hate? What is love? What is truth? What is light? But he also goes on to say here that um, if we're walking in the light, we don't cause people to stumble. And the word here for stumble is the word we get for scandal. It means offence. But when we can become a stumbling block for someone else, that we cause them to turn their backs on the truth we have in Jesus. And so when we do that, when we cause and say, hey, you don't need the cross, you can just have a, you know, Jesus is a great guy. We're leading people away. John is saying we're hating people when we lead them away from revealed truth and the truth that is revealed in God's stamp in his Bible. And so we're going to touch on that again a bit more and John is going to build on this as we walk through it. God is light. We've looked at God is love. It's one of the most quoted verses, isn't it? We love that verse. God is love. And those who walk in the light are walking in the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. We've already heard this morning. But we also know fellowship with the Father and the Son is where that verse, you read the whole verse? Jesus is the way to who? To the Father, that we may know him and know the Son. And so we've been called to live in the light, to live in love. And so John is helping his, his followers, the churches, to understand these basic truths, not to be drawn away from them. Because the danger is, when we get drawn away, what happens? our light starts to fade. And we need to think, where are we living? We may be living right before God in some area of, areas of our lives, and in others, and there's a bit of a rebel in us sometimes, that we don't let God, God's light 
into some areas of our lives. It might be work, it may be home, it may be in other areas that we don't want God to be in there. And so sometimes when we do that, we say, God, stay out of this area of our lives, we allow a little bit of darkness to come into our hearts. Sometimes it can be greed. Sometimes it can be immorality. It can be unforgiveness. Because we want to exert power and control. We want to be independent. And when we confess, we bring the light back in, as we read at the very beginning of John. And that brings fellowship with God. And so John is saying, don't just assent to the the truth. You must do the truth. As William spoke about the tension with Paul and, and, and James, it's the same thing John is talking about here. And we need to allow the revelation of Jesus to come into every area of our hearts. Some things we're fearful of and we want to keep in the dark. But Jesus says, bring them to the light and you find liberty and you find freedom in that. I heard a, uh, I knew a, a church leader who, um, who was hurt by some people in, in, in their church. And one day he said, I can forgive anyone except this particular group of people who hurt me, undermined me. He says, I can't forgive them. And in doing so, he allowed that darkness to come into parts of his life. And what happens is when we allow darkness, darkness spreads, doesn't it? As light withdraws, it's very easy. Because the darkness is the absence of light. And when we push God back, for whatever reasons, it happens. We saw that, I saw that in this person's life because they were so hurt by these others. And it just spread to other areas of their lives. And it's, a, it's sobering for all of us because we can all do that. And so when we think of love here, love isn't an emotion. Love isn't sentimental when we understand the stamp of biblical love. Love comes from the will. It is a choice when we understand biblical love. And I kind of like this example one commentator shared as he tried to define biblical love. Because in in Greek, there's four words, yet one in English. It's probably, I say, one of the most debased words we have in English is the word love because it just does not adequately describe what it is. But this is what this, this one commentator said. In biblical terms, love is living considerately with others in the way God intends. So it's living considerately in the way God intends, the way Jesus intends. You can't command love, but it comes from the heart because we understand what God has done for us. And so, as hallmarks of of, of being Christians, is the way we love and consider others. Even when it's challenging, it's difficult. 
But God says, when you're challenged, I'll give you grace. And I'm thankful for that. And so we need to be wary of that. But the good news, as Jesus says, reorientate your eyes back on me. Because the failure to love is not a neutral thing. If we don't love, I'm challenged that it is to sin when we withhold love. We don't think of that, do we? But in a biblical sense, to withhold love is to sin. And the opposite to love is not hate, but a failure to love, to withdraw it, to withhold it. So John is really trying to give us some real, real, really profound teachings here. And only the Holy Spirit. Paul says, God has poured his love into our hearts through who? The Holy Spirit. And we need his love to flow through us when we realize how much he has forgiven us. And so, we need to live and to walk in the light. It means our relationships are healthy. Is that we can maintain integrity when we allow each area of our heart to experience the light and wholeness. Because ultimately the gospel is about bringing wholeness. And so we need to allow God to do that through the Holy Spirit. And every time we don't, we fail to love. We allow a little bit of darkness to get into our hearts. And something dies unless the Spirit comes back in. You know, we know of flowers. If we put flowers in a dark room, what's going to happen? They wilt, and what will happen? They'll die. That is why we need the light to be in our lives. Only by being in the light can we know real life. True life. And so, as John had also said, about the failure to love is when we encourage others. It doesn't matter what, well, you know, what, how you live your life. Jesus loves you. It's kind of, of okay. But when we act in a way that influences others away from obedience to Christ, in that moment, John is saying, we're living in the darkness that Jesus came to dispel. And we cause people to stumble. And so our, our, our stamp tells us God's revealed truth in many things. That we can understand what is good, that we can understand what is evil. And if we influence people and entice them to do anything that Scripture says or defines as evil, we're hating others doesn't need to be violent. We just simply need to lead them away from Christ. Now, 
And as a leader here, I'm in the, and our elders are challenged by this. We have a lot of issues going on in society. Same-sex marriage. If I said, well, if you just love one another, it's all okay. Jesus loves you. Do what you want. That might sound popular. The problem is, is I'm sinning. I'm hating. It is unloving. It is unloving to say, hey, marriage isn't important. Live and, and do whatever you want. And say, that's okay. Marriage isn't important for anyone. I'm hating. I'm walking in the darkness. And I'm challenged by that. We say stealing doesn't matter as long as you didn't harm anyone. We favour rich and famous because of who they are. Favouritism is living in the darkness. When we exploit the, uh, the vulnerable, we're living in the darkness. And we're hating. And so I'm challenged by God's standard is much, much higher than mine. But I'm so grateful where God raises standard, he raises his grace. And gosh, uh, uh, what would we do about his grace? And he pours his Holy Spirit into us as we walk in the light. And so that is a challenge for us as leaders. Is that we don't cause people to stumble and to say it doesn't matter how you live. If scripture has said in God's eyes, that is evil. And that's a challenge. We all want to be popular. No one likes rejection, do we? But it is unloving of me and the leaders to say things that the Bible says is wrong. And I am deeply challenged by that. But God, in his grace, he wants people. He wants us. He's forgiven us all the stuff that I've done in the past. And I'm so grateful for all the muck and all the darkness I once lived in, that God has forgiven me. I saw um, the destructiveness of, of some of this um, overseas when a male, a male youth pastor suddenly got together with the female youth, youth uh, sorry, not no, the female music leader. They fell in love. And they decided that to leave their spouses and they'll kind of move in together. And what did the church leadership do? Oh, this youth pastor is really valuable. As a great music leader, we don't want to upset them. And so the easy thing was to say nothing. And so this person, one of the, the casualties of this was the... Um, uh, the husband of the music leader, he came to a place where he had a gun to his head ready to commit suicide if God hadn't intervened. But to be in the darkness is to say, it doesn't matter. Do what you want. And God says, you can't live before me like that. And, and so it was hugely damaging in many ways. It destroys when we say we won't hold to God's truth. 
not in an arrogant way because we can be wrong and that's why we work through things together and make sure we've got a right understanding. But it is unloving of us to say, whatever you want, just do it, if it makes you feel happy. So John here is saying, God is love. We express that love that we've received in how we care for one another. We walk in the light because God is light. And so there's a responsibility for us to be authentic. And that can be costly at times. But I would rather be right with God than please man and woman and people and our cultures. And so we do that from a place of humility. But this is the definition we receive of light and love. And so having John, this, and he's going to come back to these issues. Now John is going to kind of uh, um, change tack a little bit. And uh, because he's working on things, he's progressing things. And he's going to give them kind of an instruction shortly in this passage. And then he's going to go on to other, other things, which we'll pick up in different weeks. But at, at Hui, they showed this picture in how, in, in, as, as, a, as a picture of how do we help our young people flourish. And uh, they put up this picture of this harakiki flax. I don't know if I've pronounced that right. Harakiki? Harakiki? And, and, and just say in, in, in Maori understanding is that the way that the, the branches grow is that right at the center of the young branches and that's where the flowers bloom. But in order for them to bloom, the, the uh, branches on the outer need to protect them. If you cut one of the inner ones, the plant will die. I don't think I've got that right in the way they ex extended it. And so they brought it to an example of how as families we protect our young and enable them to flourish. And so here in this example they had but the, you know, the sort of middle branches were the parents and then grandparents of being the family, is that they're around to protect the younger branches in the middle. And as they were talking about that, I thought, oh, that reminds me of what John is speaking about here in 1 John, about how we protect those young and enable them to grow and mature. So let's just see what John had. And so this kind of spoke to me as we read it. Because John changes track and he says, I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. It's on the bedrock of Christian faith. We know that we've been forgiven through Jesus and that we may know the Father. And these are the young ones. They need to know that. They need to be confident that you've been forgiven. In order to grow and flourish, you need to know your past has been dealt with. And so John speaks of that. He speaks of the children and know that you have been forgiven, that you know the Father. And so John is really affirming this. And he's going to carry on. Oh, if I just find... 
Uh, where's my next one? Is that my next one? No, I've lost it, sorry. Bear with me. Yeah, I'm sorry. So John will carry on. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know he is from the beginning, uh, who is from the beginning. It's kind of like the outer branches on, on, on the Harakiki thing. But fathers have walked the walk, as John would say in the opening verses. Anyone who claims to, uh, to follow Jesus must walk as he did. They've done that. They've been through uh, mountains, they've been on mountaintops, they've been through valleys, but have been faithful. And so he's helping them to be able to be affirmed in that, like grandfathers. And then, and then he'll expand this. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome. And so he's affirming children. He's affirming the ones who have walked the walk, and he's affirming the, the young fathers, those who have grown in faith, experienced victory. When we experience victory, what does it do to our faith? It grows. And so the word here is the word that John will use in Revelation, the word Nike, Nike, victory. So you've, you've had some battles with the evil one, and you have overcome. May that grow your faith, that you will become like the grandfathers, the fathers. And you've overcome the evil one. And I wish when we, we spoke of the Lord's Prayer, we would use, finish not with the evil, you know, um, but the evil one. Just as the Lord's Prayer starts with, personally, our Father. It finishes with the evil one, because evil is not a force as in Star Wars, some funny force, it's personal. And so we need to recognize that because we're in a spiritual battle, even as we prayed earlier. And so John is trying to build up his hearers. Why suddenly go here? In part, I think this was meant to be read out aloud to hearers. And because what John wants to instruct them next, he wants to build them up. If you've got something difficult to share with someone and maybe uh, to help them be able to learn and maybe to grow or correct, what do we often do? We say something good first, don't we? Something positive. And so John, in the subjects that are going to come up, he is wanting to affirm them that they're growing in authentic faith at different levels. And they need to know their faith is growing. You're authentic, because I need to tell you something, some things. So he wants them to hear that first. Whether you're young in the faith, you know you've been forgiven, you have walked to maturity, you've overcome. Hear those before you hear my instruction. So that's why some of these are repeated. So the message gets in to your ears and down into your heart. 
that John is trying to do. And so, yeah, children, you've been forgiven. And everything is built on that. So he's reassuring them of their faith and the goal is, is eternal life. And one of the challenges we, we, we have is, as, as Christian communities is come, we focus on, you're saying, a sinner's prayer. We've kind of touched on the, on, on the past. Make a commitment to the Lord. And kind of some people think, well, that's the end of it and that, that's where, where, where we finish. But I, I've been really encouraged that Alpha, we've been talking about, that's only the beginning. And that's what John is saying here. Because we're all called to grow spiritually and aim to be mature like those fathers. And these apply not just to fathers, but to mothers and to all in other areas. Um, so he's saying, this is about growing. He wants us to hear that, that we will flourish like that, that flax, flax um, bush, the harakiki, he calls us to do. So we, we want to grow, but that growth needs to be watered by affirmation and acknowledgement that we're walking in the faith. And so John is revealing his pastoral heart here. He's a leader. He's walked with Jesus, but he wants them to know these things before he touches on some challenging subjects. And so you want to reassure before you exhort and correct, which is what John is aiming to do. And when you're doing things, you know, in an email, how many times have we written an email and someone's misunderstood what we said? We've got the wrong end of the stick. And that's why John is taking time, exhort and reaffirm before you, before he corrects. So there's no misunderstanding in what he's communicating. So that's powerful. So he does that. And so now we get the first kind of imperative. There's about 10 of them in here that John will give in, in, instructions. And let's just read these final verses. Oh, there's so much more to say, but uh, we, I'm sure we'll pick it up at another time. But let's just finish with uh, here some, some of John's concluding remarks in this passage. And John says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes from the, not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Beautiful words here. But John is saying, don't love the world. Well, God loves the world. Ought we not to? John is saying, no. God loved the world, but he was able to redeem the world by sending his son. Because the world and all its values are broken and fallen. He says, don't love what is broken, what has fallen, what has values that are in rebellion to God. Don't love this world. It's like being in a boat, no, a boat in the sea. But if the sea gets in the boat, what happens to the boat? It sinks. And so, so John is saying, don't get so attached to this world and love it so much because you enjoy it if you are, because it's temporary. And God had to do something. 
He sent his son. And so, as John talks about light, darkness, love, hate, he talks about temporary and permanence. And so he's getting right thinking. And then he gives some examples here. The lust, the lust of the, the, the flesh. And so, the, you know, actually, if you read Genesis 3, there'd be, you know, you'd be, all these things are covered in here, the flesh, eyes, and pride. Um, but John is here, he's not using the word flesh in, in the way Paul does. Uh, which is about our fallen nature. But John is, is really rather talking about natural, physical things in terms of flesh. When we abuse our bodies, like gluttony, addiction, wrong use in terms of relationships, immorality. He's talking about... Um, he's, yeah, the, sorry, that's what Paul was talking about. But he's saying when we, abu- when we abuse it. And... Um, with those things. Lust of the eyes, he talks about. We were short-sighted. We only see what is in front of us. You know, when I was young, teenager, all I could see was the next beer in front of me at the pub, smoking, thought these things were all harmless. Didn't realize the impact that it would have on me. I didn't stop to think. I thought everyone else is doing it. I want part of that. And, and, and so it's easy that we can get caught up in our, 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 our natural desires, physical desires, our, our eyes, the pride of the life. Ultimately, it's about independence. When we want to live our own way, not God's way. And we make uh, assess our values. You know, the world has its own set of values. The problem is, it excludes one person when it makes assesses those values excludes God and it's a flaw in all the things that we do because we are fallen and, and so John is warning on all of these, these things but to do the will of God to understand God's values is in line with authentic faith and so some people may think well do I really want eternal life? This world is so messed up. Don't want to just uh, prolong the pain. And um, that's one of the best kept secrets sometimes Christians don't always share. I was really encouraged to see it happening in Alpha. At uh, Hui, a, there is a growing anxiety among, among our y- young people about climate change and fearful about the future. The gospel is all encompassing. It deals with the future. And so God has a plan that there will be a new heavens and a new earth. But God starts with us first. He's going to change us. Then he's going to give us new bodies that won't die, that won't be diseased, that won't be sick, that won't experience pain. And then there's going to be a new creation. Opposite of Genesis. New creation, then people. God is reversing this. And there will be harmony. And as the people are are concerned about this world and the world seems to be groaning. Well, someone said to me recently that um, 
What is the creation groaning for? It's groaning for our salvation. Because just as sin came into the world, it caused creation to groan, is that when we are transformed, when we are redeemed, creation will be redeemed. And its groaning will stop. So creation is groaning because of our sin. And John talks of a moral universe. And as, that, as, a, as we are cleansed, creation will be put back in a new order. And there will be harmony. That's our future to those who do the will of God. The, the, just, John is up front in here. But there's a wonderful future. Do you share this future? It doesn't mean we're not meant to be good stewards right now, and I need, we need, need to close, but we're called to be good stewards. But hey, we are messengers of such good news. God's going to fix us permanently. A day when every prayer is answered, when we have new bodies, bodies that will last. Lazarus got healed, and we want to pray for healing, but it was temporary. This world is temporary and everything in it. And what are we waiting for? But this will be a beautiful creation. Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and have it to the full. This won't be painful. It won't be boring. This will be beautiful. We have this good news. We ought to share it, ought we not? A world that's crying out, what's going on? Isn't it wonderful? Creation is groaning for us, for our salvation. And God will bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Hallelujah. That's good news. We're going to pick up on this. Encourage you to keep reading through this letter. But God is full of grace. He challenges us to live authentically as his people. To show the light. Not withhold the light. Not withhold love. For his glory and for the honouring of his church, that we are witnesses of the kingdom. So let me finish in prayer. If this is spoken to anyone, please, uh, you can. There's prayer time here at the front. Jesus says, all you need to do is confess your sins, and what happens? We're healed. We're forgiven. Isn't that beautiful? Father, we want to thank you for your word. I thank you for this letter of John, and Lord, as we are challenged. Lord, that this is more than just uh, an assent to some, some words. We believe this, we believe this. Lord, you are interested in the whole people, whole persons. Lord, we want to pray that your word would go into our hearts, that would change us, transform us. And we thank you for the gospel. Lord, that will change not just us. It will ultimately change our creation. And Lord, may we be a light to those who are living in darkness around us, those without hope. May we be bearers of hope. May we be witnesses to the kingdom of God that is coming, that no one would miss out because they did not know. So we thank you, Lord, for your generosity, your goodness.